gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers, a theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast-loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit Telerik.com slash Xamarin dash Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. How's it going, John? Uh, not too bad. It's uh, We're recording the day after Connect, um, so you know a little bit less stressful than uh, the day before would have been. Did you get a chance to see any of the announcements? Oh, did did you guys announce anything? <laughs> yeah, you know, not, no, no big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. A few interesting things, you know, not mobile related. And then, of, of course, uh, I finally got to release our Xamarin Essentials library to a stable version. So I'm, I'm feeling good about that. Yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna have to to do a kind of quick follow up episode on on everything that was in there. Um, it was sad to see, you know, no kind of key, keynote love from uh, for for the Xamarin side, but the, you know, the blog post plus everything that wasn't even in the blog post certainly there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. Yeah, can't can't be in every keynote every time, and I think you know a, a lot of our theme lately has been uh, make things better, stronger, faster. So that's not as uh, sexy for those keynote talks, unfortunately. Yeah. It's true, though. I was saying yesterday, I had like a split moment in my mind, like when when Nat walked out on stage in the keynote and my, my brain went like, oh, here comes the mobile stuff. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, yeah, <laughs> he's got a, he's got a GitHub hoodie this time around. <laughs> but but anyway, yeah. So awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, if you're listening, definitely go check this out. We'll we'll have to do some uh, we'll have to do our own sort of recap of, of all the stuff and, and yeah, maybe even dig into to the stuff that you worked on specifically, since I'm sure you've got lots to talk about there. And then for for today, I'm I'm excited. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a well known to be a, a big fan of of this thing called F Sharp. Um, have you? You know, and we've done some episodes on it previously. Like I was looking at our our history, and I, even going back, to episode seven was on F Sharp when when Frank came on to talk about that. Um, a couple of years later, we had uh, an episode uh, forty seven. So I guess it was you know every forty ish episodes or so. So we're a little bit early on this one, I guess. Um, but talking about reactive apps and Xamarin forms with F Sharp, which which is probably a decent lead into some of what we're going to talk about today. But um, in the time since then, have you have you played with the language at all? You know, it's it's everyone has their list of things that they want to get to one day, and uh, it's it's not too low on that list. But I haven't uh, gotten to that point in my list yet, unfortunately. That's fair. That's fair. Um, well, luckily we have we have someone on the show who's who's also just long overdue for for coming on the show. Um, but also has been spending a lot of time um, building apps with, with F Sharp recently and, and is, is really well versed in some of the new awesome and hotness coming out of that realm. So, so I'm excited to have Jim Bennett on today. How's it going, Jim? Hey, good. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Like I said, it's, it's, it's been long overdue. Um, the, the last time I saw you, we were in a nice sort of Caribbean setting. Um, you know, how have things been since then? Yeah. It- Colder, much colder, <laughs> a, a lot less rum, definitely a lot less rum. Oh, that's, that's a solvable problem. <laughs> it, it is, it is. The, the last time I saw Jim, he, you know, I learned what this baby shark dance thing was. And, I'm, and I, I, I kind of missed the time in my life before I knew about that. So it's, uh, <laughs> it was a real double-edged sword on the conference, I think. Well, we could have a quick sing-song now if you want. Or we could just do a quick bit of baby shark, get your, uh, your audience excited. No? And we lost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, awesome conference. I uh, hope to see you. See you at more stuff. Um, you know, I was happy to have my code be a surprise demo in, in one of those talks, and and that it worked, and that it was F sharp. So that was a a nice sort of trifecta. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, for those who obviously weren't at the Caribbean Developers Conference, I gave a little talk about. Azure Functions and how I could use it to build a mobile app. The idea being, here's an app I hacked on of an evening, just threw together some functions, some AI services, built an app where you could take a photo, upload it to storage, do some image descriptions on it, and then modify it. So chain, look at your face, look at the emotion that you're expressing, and then put an emoji over your face to kind of replace it. So if you're smiling, you get a smiling emoji. If you're angry, you get an angry emoji. And it's, it's a pretty cool piece of code. And actually, it was Greg's code originally. He showed it off at the MVP Summit. Oh, two, it must be two years ago now. 
there was I think so, yeah. Yeah, there was an F sharp meetup on the Microsoft campus where a whole of lightning talks and Greg showed off this this sample. It was the first F sharp meetup I'd ever been to. And um, yeah, it's a very cool sample. So that's where it, that's where it all began for you. Well, I, I played with it before. I had played with it before, um, but this was definitely the first community F sharp thing that I've been to. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then I really liked that demo. So I was, every now and again, I'm thinking, how can I bring it back? How can I bring it back? <laughs> and yeah, I literally I just took your code and just it just worked. You know. So was it's it written? Cool. Was the, the demo was an F sharp itself or? No, so the bulk of my demo was C sharp. It was just one particular function was an F sharp. Okay. So it's a kind of a nice, nice bit of mix of love between C sharp and F sharp. So something for well, the LA programmers and the FP programmers. And, and that's kind of one of the cool things about it, right? Is is with .NET, it's it's that idea of being able to mix where appropriate. So, um, you know, speaking of of F sharp in general, I know Greg mentioned we have a couple past episodes that people can check out on on kind of the basics of it. But you know, I think it's always good to give listeners a, a bit of an overview. Uh, with you know, it has quite a, a interesting history. I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of uh, interesting people that have been working on it. Could you just like give us the quick run up of of your take on like where what's the story behind F Sharp and how did we get to where we are today? Yeah, so I guess the story behind it is Microsoft had a lot of OO programming languages, a lot of object oriented programming languages. So did a lot of things with C plus plus VB, although it appeared a bit procedural, was kind of object oriented under the hood. When they moved into the .NET space, C sharp was very much inspired by object oriented languages like Java, and obviously VB.NET again similarly object oriented. And back in or oh, early two thousands, there was some work done by Microsoft Research to see can they bring functional programming to to .NET. So functional programming has actually been around a lot longer than object-oriented programming. It comes from the days of things like Lambda Calculus, which I have no idea what that is. And there's lots of uh, research and academic people and all these smart people talking about these functions and there's pure functions and a thing called a monad, which I don't know what that is, but some people say it's like a burrito. Exactly uh, like a burrito. Exactly That's all like you need to know. <laughs> okay. So it's got it's got it's a language with burritos in it. Um and yeah, so this guy called Don Simon and a few other people got together and decided to come up with a functional programming language. But they wanted it to work with Microsoft's new, cool, hip, trendy .NET framework. And obviously, .NET is very much an object-oriented language. So you would think the two wouldn't meet. So what they came up with, is, this is a really smart idea. They, they didn't create a functional programming language. They created a functional-first programming language. So... Out the box, it's very functional programming. The idea is you have immutability. By default, you have functions. You've got discriminated unions and other kind of types that make sense in a functional programming world. But you can also define classes. You've got inheritance, polymorphism, and everything you need to do object-oriented code. So you can literally write object-oriented code in F-sharp if you want to, or you can write functional programming. Obviously, if you just write object-oriented code, there's lots of people who look down their nose at you because that's not the right way of doing things. Um, but you can. And it's kind of quite nice because you can get this junction between F-sharp and C-sharp. I've got a C-sharp library. I can compile it up. And then from my F-sharp, I can call it. Or I can take an F-sharp library. I can compile it. And my modules and my functions become static classes and static methods. And I can then call it from my C-sharp code. So you've kind of got this best of both worlds style approach which I think makes it really, really accessible. It's very easy to get started with. So let's talk about the, the Xamarin side of things there, where, where that's also been a really evolving story over the years. I mean, it's always been, obviously being, a, you know, you, you can reference any .NET assembly from F-sharp. You could always, you know, write Xamarin apps in F-sharp, depending on how kind of determined you were to make it work, because the tooling wasn't always there, um, you know, you know, especially if you wanted to go into Xamarin forms and do some binding things, things got a little weird for a while. But, um, but I guess it was is it about a year ago or so. Like Don kind of came, you know, got involved kind of full time with the Xamarin side of things, and uh, you know, embedded with the team over there, and, and has been working on a lot of stuff. So, like, where can you talk to like what kind of came out of that? Yeah. So, as you say, there was F sharp support in Xamarin to a certain degree, and. It's been, it's been pretty good, but the way you build apps, well, mobile apps in general, with a lot of UI frameworks is very an object-oriented approach. Widgets are objects. UI components are objects. The Swift, well, sorry, Objective-C is an object-oriented language. Java is an object-oriented language. So although you're writing F-sharp code, the kind of interface you had with 
the Xamarin SDKs, so with the iOS SDKs, the Android SDKs, you had to kind of flip back into OO. It kind of flip away from functional programming into OO. So, yeah, as you say, Don Syme, he was asked to join the Xamarin team for a short while. So he was on secondment back at the, I guess, the end of last year and early this year. And he was tasked with, can you build a prototype idea of how we can do functional programming with Xamarin apps. So have a look at the landscape out there at the moment. Have a look at the sort of reactive programming models and the ideas that are coming through from the functional programming communities and the various different new up-and-coming frameworks and see if we can take those ideas and apply them to mobile apps built with Xamarin. And so he, the first prototype came out, I think it was early January, February this year. And the idea was to take the Elm Base, base idea, the model view update style, style design pattern, and use that to build mobile apps. So the way this works is you have an immutable model. So you have the state of your systems defined in a model that doesn't ever change in itself. You have messages that get passed around the system. You have a synchronous update function. And then whenever a message is passed around the system, the update function takes the model that you have, this immutable model, it takes your message and it spits out a brand new model. So it doesn't change the existing one, it spits out a brand new one. That model then feeds to a view function, which creates a virtual user interface on screen. And then there's some magic behind the scenes that looks at your virtual user interface and then looks at your current user interface and applies the differences. So it kind of sounds a bit overly complicated, um, but the, so the, the, the principles of it that make it so good is your state in your model can never be updated. You can only ever create a new model each time. And this can only ever happen in your update function, which means you have one place that your state changes. So you think about MVVM, sort of the classic design pattern for building Xamarin apps, either Xamarin native, frameworks like MVVM Cross, MVVM Lite, or things like MVVM Forms. You have multiple view models that hold, potentially hold state. You have models that hold state. You have repositories. And there's lots and lots of different places where you can track the state of your system. And there's lots and lots of different places where that state can change. So you can have a view model that responds to a network request or another view model that responds to a push notification or another view model that's got an asynchronous call to a database. And because this update's happening in so many different places, it's kind of very hard to say, here is the one state of my system. Here is how this state changes. Here is what will happen over time. So you can end up with this horrible mess, especially reproducing bugs of, I just don't know what state my system is in. With the MVU model, your state can only ever change in the update function. And it's always synchronous. So there's no race conditions. You just know that I have state comes in with a message and that message can contain some kind of data. New state comes out and that will happen synchronously. Update, 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 update. So you can always model every single state transition. You know where things are happening. You can literally write code inside your update function to persist your state at every single step of the way. So you've always got an overview of the state of your system. And it's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. The whole state management problem just disappears. And then when your new model comes out of your update function, it goes this concept of a virtual UI. And this virtual UI, because it's not a real UI, you can write unit tests against it. So you can actually test what is the virtual UI that will come out of my view function based off the state of my system. So you can always test your entire UI. And this can be the, the UI of your system, be multiple pages of a navigation stack with controls and properties and absolutely everything. Yeah, there's, there's none of this binding has my property been updated to update my ui thing it's always a fixed virtual ui comes out of this view function that you can test and then and it's quite literally a view model in a way <laughs> yeah it's an immutable model of your view yes yeah it kind of is yeah and then obviously the behind the scenes this new virtual ui comes out and then the framework causes your real ui to update so it's just a nice clean simple state managed pattern and it just opens up a whole world of possibilities of what you can do with this. So I mean, just come back to this idea of you have state in one place. If you're recording this state and a tester says, I've got a bug, then you can just grab their state. You can put your app in exactly the same state they were in when they hit that bug, apply the message that they did through clicking a button or interacting with the system to see what happens, find the bug, write a unit test for that scenario, because everything's fully unit testable, and then fix the problem. Imagine doing that with an MVVM framework. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of success. Uh, and it occurs to me, kind of thinking back on this too, another episode I should have mentioned up front, um, it wasn't explicitly about 
F sharp, but we did an episode with Alex Dunn uh, a year or two back talking about uh, you know some some of the ways that he used the Redux pattern in C sharp Xamarin Forms apps to to do that sort of similar approach to state management. And Redux is a pattern that was heavily influenced by Elm and the way that Elm does things, uh, among other things. So, um, you know, we'll I'll have to include a link to that as well. But it it really does. Um, it really does go a long way to help simplify state management, which is the biggest problem in, in any app. Like I've used this extensively on the web as well. So I know that early on, the, there were a lot of names thrown around for these projects. So like there was like, I think it was called Elmish Xamarin Forms, and then there was half Elmish, and now there, there's this fabulous thing. Um, so I think before we, we really dig into the, you know, the guts of some of the, what you were talking about, like it, it might be good to just clear up the, the nomenclature. Like, like what is... You know, what are things actually called? Are these the same things? Are these, you know, were they prototypes? You know, what what is the state of things there? Yeah. So the the very first version was called Elmish dot Forms. That was the first one because it's it's Elm-ish. So the inspiration for that name came from the the F sharp web side of things. So Fable, obviously the framework for building web apps with F sharp that has an Elmish architecture. So that same name populated through to Elmish for Xamarin Forms. And the initial thoughts Don had, the first thing that he tried was what he called a half Elmish model. So the idea behind that is you follow the model view update type process, but instead of having the virtual UI, he the view function spat out bindings. So you'd define your UI in XAML, exactly the same as you would in a Xamarin Forms app. You would specify these bindings, the, the, the values for these bindings in your view function, and then your view function would run the bindings would update. So you kind of had this half model where you don't really have a full virtual UI. You still have a Xamarin Forms XAML page or Xamarin Forms XAML controls. And then he then built the full Elmish, as he called it. And full Elmish is no XAML, and it's just your view function returns the virtual UI. That was full Elmish. Now, we kind of looked at this as, is this just going to be a prototype? Is this something we want to take forward? Where do we want to go with this? And some of the discussions we had with various PMs at, at Microsoft and various other community members is the naming felt like it was just a little add-on for Xamarin Forms, whereas we're kind of trying to think of this as here is a completely different paradigm for building mobile apps. It just happens to be powered by Xamarin Forms. So it's not just another Xamarin Forms thing. It is a separate way of building apps that just takes advantage of the power of Xamarin Forms. So... We're looking for a different name, and one suggestion came up was Fabulous, which is taking sort of the Fable idea from the web and just kind of running with that a bit further. So, yeah, it's now called Fabulous. It, out the box, the standard way of doing things is the full Elmish model, but it does still support the half Elmish if you're XAML inclined. So why don't we sort of walk through each of these components in a little bit more detail? I know you, you went through, you know, models, views, and updates, but I, I think we can probably draw out a few more questions from each of these. and. When I started thinking about models and and how I would use this in that application, um, you know, are there any constraints to to how these look in your application? Do you have to subclass a particular thing? Um, what does that actually look like in a Xamarin app? So your model is an immutable record. So with F sharp, you have you can create classes if you want to, or you can create record types. And your standard model is an immutable record. So that will have various fields in there that have you know, whatever values, you know, usual strings, numbers, whatever you, those kind of fills in there. And these are immutable. So you, when you create your model, that's it. It's created. You can't change things. Obviously, your model can then contain record types in there as well and sub-records and sub-records and sub-records. So you can almost structure an object graph, if as it were, if you want to with these complicated record types. So, for example, one thing I've seen with multi-page applications is you have a, a main model and that, and then maybe you have a, a login page model or a settings page model, and your main model will contain the login page model, the settings page model, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this one, yeah, let's say immutable state. You can bolt on functions to it if you want to. You can sort of treat it a little bit like a class. You can put various getters on there. You can put the functions on there to do things that are relevant your data if you want to but sort of fundamentally it's this immutable state object so there's no you know it's not like you're you're bound by having to subclass something or do anything weird you can basically take objects coming out of uh even something like a graphql query or something like that and just stick them into your model if you really wanted to or i guess what, what would be the the process there would you typically like 
have your own higher level model that you you kind of draw out that data from and, and populate? Um, so, so you're saying things like GraphQL. So I assume you're talking about if you're, you know, you're making a web call, you're pulling data back from a web call, something like that. Yeah. So you define the structure of that data inside your model, and then you kick off some kind of asynchronous call to go and read that data. And then when that comes back with whatever hierarchy, you would then map that back into your model. But you would do that using the update function. So the, the kind of the flow through wrap is you have an, an init method that creates your very first models. This is kind of your, like your blank view. If you think about sort of like a, a Facebook style app, for example, that shows a, sort of a blank loading screen with some dummy data while it's loading, your initial model would be that dummy data. You'd then kick off like a background task to go off, load the real data, you know, make like your GraphQL query or make a REST API query, pull data back, deserialize that in whatever in whatever form and then update your model inside your update function so it's this it's this immutable type it's got all it can have whatever hierarchy you need whatever structure you need whatever shape you want there's no constraints to that as long as it's just a standard immutable record and then yeah you can just update that but you can only ever update it in the one place so i know from that perspective and like on you know, digging into the state management side of things, which is always where things get hairy. And I know, especially from using these types of patterns on on the web side of things, um, it at a certain level of complexity, it gets a little bit hard to know like how to shape how to shape that overall application state. Like you were mentioning, where you can have models and then models that contain sub models, and then you have you know you you can imagine having. Um, you know, like it depends on how much you want to like componentize your system and stuff too, and not have you know, in theory, not have, you know, at one area of the app, no, have to know anything about what the model is from another side of the app, but there might be shared state that you have as well. Um, in this sort of like Elmish approach, are there any kind of good approaches that you found to to keeping state management kind of somewhat sane as, as an application gets um, somewhat complex, like as you build out, you know, the difference between building out like a, a one or two screen thing and, you know, a 15 screen app or something? So I must admit, I haven't seen any, any examples using this that have gone to that sort of 15, 30, 100 screen type model. The ones I've seen are usually around sort of five or six screens, that, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of size. Obviously, this one caveat about Fabulous is it's currently in beta. It's put out there. We want people to play with it. It's still baking. So we're still learning about how people can use it. We're still learning about what the, the best patterns are. But certainly the idea of having one F-sharp file per page inside your app that def and each one defines a model and then you just have some kind of master state and that model contains all the different sub models that you need and then obviously if you need any shared state you just need a way of making sure that the model that is down at the you know, login page level for example has got access to something it needs and just expose that through it um yeah wait so when you create the model you say okay well i'm gonna when i update this value at my top level model i'm also going to update the same value further down in my login model um, but yeah it's still this is still quite a new thing so we, we haven't seen those big hundred page apps yet so i'm kind of quite excited to see just how people are going to simplify this what solutions people are going to come up with how they're going to solve this problem so you mentioned obviously the uh, uh, models are updated in your you know your updates um, can you talk a little bit more about how an update occurs and like where the different uh, trigger points are for that yeah so Every update is triggered by a message. So you define your model, obviously, which is your data, but you also define your messages. And these are the only things that can cause the update to the system. Now, the message type you use is usually a discriminated union. So you can have, yeah, it's just a named message, just like an enum in C sharp, for example. So you can have you know, increment, decrement, if you imagine that the, the canonical click a button, make a number go up and down style app. But because it's a discriminated union, you can actually assign data to that. So you can have an increment five button an increment 10 message so you can actually have data attached to each particular message now as part of the sort of the program the the outer level shell that makes a fabulous app work you have this thing called a dispatcher and this dispatcher its job is to receive messages and pump them through to the update function so the simple example would be in your view you put you have a button in your button in the clicked event you would dispatch a message so you think about the example where you have a label on screen with a number, you click a button, then that number goes up. In your button click handler, you would dispatch an increment message. And then that message would be picked up by the update function and cause the UI to update. Now, this dispatcher can be owned, in, can be accessed from multiple different places. So 
for example, you can set up a thing called a subscription, which is kick something off in the background, then fire a message back onto the dispatcher. So just going back to the thing you're saying about making a GraphQL query, you would then kick off an asynchronous command that runs in the background that would take the dispatcher into that into the function that is called by that asynchronous command so that when your results come back from your GraphQL query, those results would be packaged up into a message, sent to the dispatcher, and then picked up by the update function. Now, is the dispatcher at all aware of like application, uh, like view state uh, in terms of, I'm thinking of a scenario, like if I've got a page where I start doing that async call out, then the user clicks something, goes to another page, or they close the app before that call comes back. Um, you know, in a traditional app, I'm kind of unsubscribing from all of the UI related events and, and updates as my uh, page or or whatever you want to think of. My view goes out of out of focus or out of out of view. Um, does the dispatcher have any awareness of that and, and kind of making sure that you're not trying to do work to, you know, UI that's not visible or or that kind of thing? Well, the dispatcher doesn't doesn't know about the UI, doesn't care about the UI. So the dispatcher would just call the update function and then it'd be up to you when you manage the state to say well in my in my model i'm this page is no longer visible so a flag to say this page is not there will, will be will be triggered and then when the results come back do i care or not if i don't care then i won't update my model if i do care then i will create my create my new model so it's kind of just completely separated from from the view it's not it's not like a UI dispatcher type model or anything like that. It's just a simply a So that that's something that you know you just kind of have to wire up yourself to to make sure you're doing. Yeah. Um and, and then with the the views themselves, I mean you mentioned obviously there's there's sort of the half Elmish model um using like Xamarin forms and, and bindings uh kind of in, in the traditional sense in a way. Um and then with the full Elmish model, um you know, are there any like helper methods or anything, or how does that actually look and feel in F Sharp code to be declaring your UI just in code for people who aren't, you know, thinking of doing that from the C Sharp side of things, it's always a little bit, um, especially with like Xamarin Forms controls, it's always a little bit tedious. And and I, I know personally, I tend to fall back to wanting to use XAML, uh, but I'd be curious if there's like, you know, what, what that syntax feels and looks like uh, for the full code side. Yeah, so the syntax for that is there's, there's a, a view object that's got the whole lot of uh, functions on there to create all the different Xamarin Forms controls. So under the hood, the full Amish still uses Xamarin Forms. And when you when you create one of these, you say, you know, I want um, I know, a label, be view.label. And then there's a whole load of optional parameters you can pass to that, that view.label function. These are name parameters, and each name ties up with a Xamarin Forms property. So I would say view.label, open brackets, text equals model.name, horizontal alignment equals layer options.center, uh, just like that. So it's kind of a bit like the way you declare in C Sharp, but because it's inside one function call, it's a lot more compact. It's a kind of, it's a bit easier to read. I mean, I'm, I personally find XAML very, very easy to read. I really like using XAML. When I look at a XAML UI, I can visualize it instantly. I still can't visualize a fabulous UI. I have to think about it, maybe even run it and see. Um, but it's definitely a much more terse syntax than the way you do it in C Sharp. And then you just, you know, it's the standard F Sharp nesting because everything likes to be indented. So that builds a nice little nest showing your hierarchies of objects. So you kind of get the similar kind of shape that you'd get in the XAML. And then because you don't have to do bindings, because you're just setting values, it's a lot more obvious what it is that you're showing. So one example Don likes to use, and I know this is something a few people have used to bash XAML with, is the concept of binding to a Boolean value, but doing not on that value. So you think mm -hmm. about, I want to bind visibility to something inside XAML. I say visibility equals binding, um, you know, show thing converter equals static resource, my inverted Boolean converter. Yeah, this is horribly, horribly long syntax. Whereas yeah. when I'm defining that code inside my view function, I'll do view.label brackets is visible equals model.showLabel or not model.showLabel. So it's much easier to see the data that's going to go inside there. And obviously, because it's just reading data from a model, I can stick a breakpoint on it and I can see that value something which isn't easy to do inside bindings. Is there any ability to get any like injection into that? So let's say we're using that visibility sort of converter example. Um, one, one of the things that um, 
I always find gets a little more difficult as you get into these straight data binding scenarios on, you know, regardless of you know, whether it's MVVM or this Elmish kind of approach is if you want to introduce any like UI niceties, like do you want to like animate that visibility sort of happening and not just have it be a straight, you know, straight appear or disappear or something like, is there any sort of affordance to getting into to that sort of binding to be able to do a, you know, any sort of UI sugar there? Um, not yet. Not yet. So we don't really have any animations out the box. It's something we are interested in uh, in getting there and making that making that kind of stuff happen. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is a problem intrinsic to any binding-based sort of platform where it makes it really easy to make the UI shift to the way that you want it, but not necessarily in like a visually appealing kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, you want to set the, a visibility that just fades something out rather than make it disappear or have something move around on screen. Yeah, there isn't anything at the moment for doing those kind of animations. But hey, it's open source for free to raise a PR, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, uh, it took us half an hour to get that comment. <laughs> so kind of digging into that a little bit more then. Uh, so it sounds like there's a, it sounds like there's both a hard and a, a not hard dependency on Xamarin Forms here, where it sounds like Xamarin Forms is the just sort of prescribed UI layer here. But you mentioned a lot around the sort of fabulous engine, the dispatcher side, all these things that I imagine are pretty independent of a UI layer because that's the whole design of them, right? That you end up with this sort of, you know, like legit view model, like we mentioned, that then gets bound and represented in a UI. Um, so I'm curious if there are any, any plans of kind of decoupling those a little bit more and maybe you know, whether it's like you end up with like a Skia front end or, you know, maybe some ability to share Elmish style code with, with a Fable application or something like that. Like, um, you know, has, has that been sort of explored at all? Not yet, no. So obviously there's a lot of power in things like the Xamarin platform and the Xamarin Forms framework and Fabulous kind of leverages that power and takes advantage of all those features. So nothing's been done to say, can we lift and shift this and put it on top of something else? Now, there's been some kind of thought experiments around, can we take this and maybe use it with WPF? Can we use it with C-sharp instead of F-sharp? These haven't really gone many places yet, but it's certainly been a thought of, can we use this on top of different different platforms yeah i guess in theory there's nothing stopping us taking this model and applying it to WinForms if you wanted to or uwp instead of xamarin forms but the 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 bulk of the of the code relies on xamarin forms so for example if i want to put a label I, i'm doing the view.label my, my label function the properties that i can set the the optional parameters in my function map one to one with the properties in xamarin forms so i can set the properties that form supports so if we then put that on top of something else, it would have to have the same interface that Xamarin Forms has. And it kind of feels like if you wanted to have a skier sharp rendering behind it, the better way to do it would be to build, to build that for Xamarin Forms rather than trying to build that for Fabulous. That's true. Yeah, I guess I was also thinking through the potential for even just taking the M and V parts of MVU and, and sharing that with like a Fable application or something as well. And, and I guess these things being, you know, record types and pure functions and all that, like, you know, you could lift and shift a lot of the logic between applications like that, right? Oh, totally, totally, so, yes. So your models, your messages, your update function, that would work across anything. It's just your view function will be different. But yeah, there'd be, if you wanted to build a web version and a mobile version of the same thing, there would be absolutely nothing stopping you taking your, your model and your updates and your messages and just putting that on a Fable application and on a, a fabulous application. In theory, it should just work. And are there, you know, from a, an API sort of perspective, um, does Fabulous, you know, either now or maybe down the line, is it being thought of to take advantage of any like, you know, F sharpities, like, you know, things like computation expressions, like all, all the fancy things that F sharp programmers like to do to, to make really interesting and cool syntax and expressibility and stuff like well, that? Well, the thing is, everything is just an F sharp. So if you wanted to use the kind of highly unreadable F sharp code that I try and avoid because I'm not <laughs> smart enough to understand it, then obviously, yes, you could go ahead and do that. Um, I wouldn't advise it purely because I'm not smart enough to read it. <laughs> but that's fair. I could, I could just imagine, you know, building, you know, computation expressions 
even specifically around, you know, making UI definitions more expressive or, or something like that. But I wasn't sure if there was anything kind of in the box yet around that. Uh, if there is, I don't know about it because that's not something I touch because I'm I'm not a very good F-sharp programmer. I will say this. I am not one of those geniuses <laughs> who understands how it all works. I just find it's a very productive language for me. So I couldn't actually tell you what a computation expression is. <laughs> just to try and put things in context. See, see, see actually, now you're giving me some hope. Yeah, I'd actually like to pause on that for for just a second because because this is an argument I make about F sharp all the time, um, and, and I don't mean to make the argument that that you're not a good programmer or something. I'll just but but assuming that based on you offering that, um, I think F sharp uh, and languages like this and approaches like this often get typecast as like being really complicated, and it's because a lot of the words are really like mathy and stuff, right? I mean. We've already used the word monad because it's an F sharp podcast. Um, you know, computation expression. You start getting into like, you know, you know all the, all the other crazy words that scare people off, and that you know. But the the reality is, you don't need to understand most of or any of that to be productive in this sort of language. Like, it, it really just is a nice productive language that you know and helps reshape things to to start thinking in functional terms. But um, I, I just always like to call out that that fact that you don't need to understand all the re- really complex math and monoids and, and all the other like you know mathematician words that get thrown around when you when you start going around FP circles to to be productive here. Um, so anyway, just wanted to get on my soapbox for for just one second there. I'll. I'll back up. No, it's, it's, a ver- it's a very valid soapbox. I mean, one thing I'm trying to do when I'm talking about Fabulous is I make the point, I'm not a very good F-sharp programmer. I don't understand these complexities, but look what I can build with this. I can still come along. I can talk about this language. I can show off these capabilities. I can build these apps without having to understand all this stuff. So, yeah, I'm trying to make it more accessible. I mean, there's some super smart people in the F-sharp community, and... Because they're smart, they really understand these things deeply, and they can have these in-depth discussions about these phenomenal things with lots of hard words that unless you know them, you don't know what they're talking about. And that's no slight against them. It's just they're talking at it from a sort of a different base level of knowledge and a different base level of understanding that I don't have. And I'm also actively trying not to get that knowledge so that I can always present content from a hey, here's this, and I don't know what I'm talking about, but hey, here's the thing. You know, I don't know what a monad is, but let me show you how to build a mobile app. So yeah, F-sharp is, is a very easy to use language. It's not that scary. It's just unfortunate there's a lot of stuff yep. on the web that looks scary. Yeah, I, I think that's really useful. I mean, like, I, I, I kind of look at myself in this conversation as the uh, the person who you're talking to, right? And and that gives me some hope that um, you know maybe maybe I should move that up farther on my list and, and at least check it out in in this context. And I feel like once you start in a a context that you're already familiar with, especially that lends itself well to kind of going down that rabbit hole even deeper. Yeah, I mean it's not that difficult to pick it up if you think you just need to stop thinking about here as an object. It's here is a function that takes some things and spits some things back out. And then you think, well, I've got this thing with data in it, and by default, I can't just set values on it. And when you kind of get your head over those bits, the rest of it kind of falls it falls into place a little bit. So when you think about the update, you're not deriving from a class and overriding a protected method and handling something there. It's here is a function where a model comes in, the message comes in, the model comes out. So it's almost like going back to kind of procedural code, like sort of the basic code when you're writing, uh, you know, go to, do some stuff, return, what have you. So you can almost think of it a little bit like, procedural code. I've heard some people say that a lot of people write F-sharp code and C-sharp code as kind of bad procedural code with some objects in it. But in some ways, you can get started by thinking, it's just a function. It's just a little bit of code that does something, and then I can just call it. And bang, I got a mobile app. So. Now, I mean, we've been talking about, I think, a lot of really implicit advantages here. I mean, things that are, are obvious that come out of um, using this pattern. Uh, I'd actually be more curious to, to hear from you, like in your time with this and use of this, you know, are there any really obvious disadvantages to going to this programming paradigm versus maybe a more traditional uh, object-oriented approach? Um, I haven't really come across any big downsides. The, 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 the biggest downside I can see is just the different way of thinking. So if you've come from an MVVM way of thinking, this is quite different. So it takes a little bit to kind of get your head around, this is how it should be. Um, the there obviously there are limitations with fabulous 
So because it's based on top of Xamarin Forms, it has got code that calls through to Xamarin Forms for the, vir for the virtual UI. You have to have the code for the virtual UI working for the whole thing to work. So the virtual UI has got some properties, but if a new property is there on the next version of Xamarin Forms, we've got to go and update the virtual UI to match that. If you want to bind another control, you've got to write the virtual UI layer for that other control. Now we have some of those. We have some skier bindings. We've got Xamarin Forms maps bindings. But if you have a control from Infogistics or Telerik or you know one of those other vendors, you'd have to bind that yourself. If you've got a jar or a cocoa pod with a control on it, you have to kind of bind that yourself. You have to build these virtual UI layers. We've bounced around is there ways we can automate this, you know, maybe build a type provider for it or something like that. Um, but we haven't done that yet. So yeah, there's been things like, for example, I want to use something in the latest version of Xamarin Forms, and I just can't because Fabulous just doesn't have that support for that particular property yet. So I have to go in and someone's got to raise a pull request to update it to match. That's kind of one of the downsides to Fabulous. You also, as I say, this kind of new way of thinking where you've got to, if you want to plumb the native world with the forms world, you kind of got to think a little bit differently. So, I mean, yes, you can still use things like Xamarin Forms Messenger to get messages from the native world, but really what you should be doing is accessing the dispatcher, which is available to you through this kind of this program thing, kind of this sort of wrapper that sits around your app to pass messages from your iOS or your Android apps. So it's just, it's just a different way of thinking. That's kind of the biggest downside is how do I do X? So maybe I have to think in a slightly different way. But there's a really good community for this so far. There's on the F-Sharp Slack there's a mobile channel where a lot of people are discussing this. So we're trying to ease that progress. We've got, we've got some good docs up there. And we're obviously, we're hoping to keep improving, keep coming up with samples just to help that initial getting started, getting their head around the new paradigm. That's kind of the biggest, the biggest thing. But certainly one thing we are seeing, flipping from downsides to upsides, is one advantage of this MVU model is it's very similar to the models used by things like React Native. So if you show this to a Xamarin developer who does MVVM and XAML, they're going to be a little bit, okay, um, it's going to take a bit of time to get used to this. But I've shown some fabulous code to a React Native developer, and they said, I completely understand this. I know exactly what this is doing, and it's type safe. So that's a bit nicer than what I'm used to. So it's quite accessible to mm -hmm. people who've come from the Elm, the Redux, and those kind of styles of architecture. So speaking of the, the dispatcher and... and sort of using the parallel of what you mentioned around React and all that, like how how is the performance of this sort of approach when applied into to a Xamarin app? Like the, the sort of rub comes in in that sort of dispatching layer, right? Of saying, you know, trying to pinpoint exactly what changed, like in, in the React world, it would be their their virtual DOM that they use to do diffing and make sure that they only make, you know, the, the smallest update to the UI. Because technically the whole state could be changing, but you don't want to be re-rendering an entire screen, you know, thousands of times or something. Um, so, so have you noticed any sort of performance hit in terms of what what Fabulous is doing there? Are they, you know, are they doing any magic under the hood to to do the same sort of minimization as well? Yeah, so it is differential updates. So we we the whole Fabulous architecture will look at the properties of both the you know, the, the new virtual UI and the existing UI, and we'll only apply those deltas. So it is quite efficient from that sense. Obviously, this analysis of the UI happens on the UI thread. So there is a certain amount of work. If you've got a very deep nested UI with lots and lots on there, it can take a while for that to happen. So you can get a small performance hit. And the way that we tell whether, th whether things are different, obviously, if you're building your own controls, you, you've got a different control you want to put uh, a fabulous wrapper on that that you want to do stuff with, you need to say how to find that difference. So you need to help it understand, well, actually, it's not this whole thing is different that needs to be re-updated. Re it's just this little piece here. But there is some code you can call. There's hints you can give it to help it, to help it go faster. The one area we have been seeing performance is if you want to handle things like a text changed event. Every time you type a letter, it's got to go through this whole kind of cycle and potentially update the UI. So we've got some issues raised around throttling these. You know, same as if you've got lots of updates coming in. If you're, if you're making a call to a back end and you're just updating on every single record that comes back rather than one big update, again, it could be update, 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 update. So because the model 
will change each time. And because the model can only change in one place, you you can always pause the view updates in theory and then at a later point just update the view from the latest version of the model because you're not going to kind of miss anything because of the just the flow. So there's some discussion around how can we put that kind of throttling in to stop the view being updated too often. Yeah, it seems like a good opportunity to bring in something like reactive and reactive extensions to to just build streams out of those. And then, you know, they have really nice built-in debouncing abilities and, and all that stuff in there. Um, and that stuff plays really nice with, with F-sharp too. Yeah, yeah, because certainly as we, we need to handle every single message. That's the thing we cannot do is drop a message because each message will then create a new state, create a new state, create a new state. But we can certainly drop view updates. As long as they're happening fast enough that the UI is not laggy, there's there wouldn't be any reason why we couldn't do something that says just buffer for one second do it buffer for a second do it buffer for a second and do it so yeah it's just it's an ongoing discussion that we've got on the github issue at the moment as to how we're gonna how we're gonna do this so how um like production ready is fabulous and and like is there anything special that i need to get installed in terms of tooling uh or ide extensions and you know, is this something that you'd recommend people start using in apps that they want to release today? So the official state of play is it's in a stable beta and we want people to play with it and give us good feedback. So, you know, we're kind of hoping we can get we can get it very well baked, get a lot of good feedback and then go to 1.0 at some point. Now, in terms of getting started, there's a .NET template. So you can just do the .NET uh, minus I, the template to install it, .NET new. And it spits out an app and we support ios android mac os uwp so we kind of got all the flavors and other than that that's it you just in visual studio for mac visual studio on windows you just write your f sharp code and it just it just works because it's just f sharp sitting on top of xamarin forms now in terms of tooling one there is one cool bit of tooling we do have which is quite nice is f sharp has some really great compiler services so you can use F-sharp code to compile F-sharp code. And so based off this, we do have an experimental live update mechanism. So you build your app, you run it, and then you run a little app we've got that's essentially a file system watcher. It looks for updates to your main F-sharp file. When it picks up an update, it will recompile that code, push it to the device, and you get essentially kind of a hot reload type experience. The very first time you do it, it can take a few seconds as the compiler kind of gets spun up. After that, it can be kind of half a second for code change, click save, it appears on the device. Now, this is experimental. It's iOS, it's Android, it's not on UWP, and we haven't got state management in there yet, so your state gets reset every time. But that is something that's there that's working, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty good. My kind of usual workflow is... I will spin up an app with just a very empty model message update view, and then using the live update, just start coding. Uh, doesn't work for everything. I've been building an app that does some JSON deserialization, and that's causing it to um, to be very unhappy and not run properly. But yeah, you know, it's there. It's something that's that's pretty good. It only took Don a few yeah, thousand lines of code to make it all work. And so, you know, we're kind of hoping this tooling is something we can then maybe bake into something. Maybe we'll build some extensions for Visual Studio for the far new experience with the with the whole live update built in. Don't know yet. It's whatever the community wants wants to do with it. But it's quite a nice bit of tooling that we've got. Yeah, that's awesome. And I can say just from having used these sorts of patterns on the the website of things, it really does lend itself really well. I mean, like live reload and all of that is one aspect of it, but also just um you know, if you're using React and Redux, for example, you know, there's all sorts of tools that you can get uh, that plug into Chrome and they give you sort of time travel ability. So you could see every message that comes through and every state change because that's all captured. It's, you know, an immutable sort of record on a stack and you can kind of step forward and backwards through time to figure out to see exactly what happened and what changed in your app. So um, once you have this sort of architecture in place, it, it lends itself so well to developer tooling. So it's cool to see that there's there's momentum behind that side of thinking as well. Yeah, we've been thinking about the time travel debugging. That's something that would be nice to have and actually build a tool of some description for doing that. Because as you say, it's you can keep that state, you can keep that entire history, and you can just go forward and backwards. So something you, that you just can't do with MVVM or all these other kind of patterns because you don't have that one central place for state. 
So yeah, at some point we will build that, whether that be a separate tool, whether that be something just in a panel inside of Visual Studio, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's definitely very, very doable. Yeah. And that sort of thing works too, just, you know, just to, to belabor that point a little bit more, it, you know, beyond developer tooling. Like if you imagine the example I usually give for the, this sort of pattern is like, if you imagine what you would have to do in an application, a normal like MVVM application to implement like edit and then an undo action inside of your application or something, right? You know, you'd have to keep track of so much stuff and you quickly end up with spaghetti code and weird state managed in all these different places so that if someone hit undo, you could undo everything. Whereas in this sort of application, you could literally just say, well, go back to that state I had before, yeah. as long as you just have a record of that state. So it's a it's a really powerful sort of way to do things. Yeah, it makes undo, redo, as you say, really, really simple. And as I was saying earlier, the idea of QA, when people get bugs, you can get their state. There's nothing stopping your app saving the state down, you know, maybe save the last two or three versions of the model and the messages persisting that to SQLite database. If your app crashes, when your app restarts, it just uploads, here's the state and the actions, and then you can replay what the user did. Obviously in a GDPR compliant way, because you know we have, to, we have to be conscious of users' data. But yes, there's nothing stopping you just building that in. And so, so you get a report of a crash on you know, App Center or a similar kind of tool, and you've got there in the, in the properties that come with the crash report, you've got the state. You just spin it up, try it out, see what went wrong, fix the bug. Right on. So outside of, of what we kind of covered here, there's obviously a whole lot more to, to Fabulous and building apps. Um, so we'll, we'll link to all that good stuff. Um, is there anything in particular that that we we missed that we should definitely cover cover as part of this? Um, no, the only thing I will say is we, we're building up an awesome Fabulous list. So I assume we can stick a, a link to that in the, in the various show notes for this. But we're building up an awesome list where people are submitting the libraries that they're building, videos, blog posts, sample code. And you know, it's it's small, but it's growing. So if anyone's interested in seeing what Fabulous is doing, they can go and take a look at that and see some of these, the sample apps people have got, submit their own. There is a Twitch stream being run. Um, there is a gentleman called, I am so, so bad with names. Gareth Hubbard, I believe his name is. I'm just going to double check. So that I, yeah, Hubble, sorry, Gareth Hubble. Uh, he's doing a, a Twitch stream and he's been building a... Twitch deck, I think it is, style application with Fabulous. And he does that a few times a week, about 6 p.m. UK time. And so he's been working with it. So it's quite cool to see what's going on there. Yeah, I don't know why we've ended up on this this cadence of every 40 or so episodes is when we finally talk <laughs> F-sharp again. And we'll have to, to get our cadence up. But but Jim, I, I really appreciate you coming on to, to talk about all this. And we'll include all that stuff in our show notes. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully get a lot more F-sharp content on here. Oh, 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 I keep promising it. I don't know. I just got I got to follow through because because I'm a fan. But, uh, but but this was awesome. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.